speaker this morning is Chris Weiniger. He is the senior pastor of Life Point Church in Norfolk. So Chris has been with us before, does a great job, and we'll continue our series in Colossians. So let's welcome back Pastor Chris. Wow, thank you. You guys can uh, take a seat as... Uh... Yeah, my name's uh, Chris. I am uh, uh, lived in Norfolk. Uh, if you've ever been there, the people there call it Norfolk for the last five years. There's a story about that. But uh, glad to be with you. Good to be with you today. If you got a Bible, you can open up with me to Colossians chapter number one, Colossians one. Uh, today we're going to be looking in verses 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29. Um, so I know you guys have been doing a series uh, in this, and, and I don't totally know what's been said by those who've come before me, so I just want to recap just a little bit. Uh, the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he writes to this church in Colossae, the Colossians, and, and he's writing to them because the, they had some, some concerns. The, theologically, they have some concerns. Practically, they have some concerns. Um, uh, maybe it seems like they're starting to go off the rails in, in a few places. Um, but they also just had some, some concerns and, and maybe some issues with, with Paul. So for, for instance, one of the things it seems like they're, they're asking is, is, Paul, why is it that you're suffering? I mean, if you're really a messenger of God, if you're really one of his apostles, um, why is it that bad things keep happening to you? And I mean, and, and, and Paul writes this book um, from a prison cell. And so they're asking, why are you in prison? Why are you suffering? And, 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 and I think that's a fair question. And so in this book, and, and what I hope you've seen so far, if you've been tracking with this, is, is you see some, some really deep Christology. So this is some really deep, profound things about who we believe Christ is, some of the deepest in, in all of the New Testament. But we also see, and what we're going to get in today, is, is somewhat the implication of that theology. So if here's who Christ is, here's how we live. And in it, we see, we see Paul's heart. We see what moved him, what motivated him. And so in these six verses that we're going to unpack this morning, we, we essentially get Paul's answer to this question, why is it that I'm suffering? But, but maybe even more importantly than that, how, how is it that I can suffer and suffer well? And so, so here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Let me just give this to you up front. How does the gospel... So how does the, the, the good news that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he offers to us his righteousness, how does the gospel change how I live? How does it change how I live? We're not, we're not just talking about what we believe, but how does what we believe change our understanding of our purpose? our goals, our, our future, the ways in which you and I interact throughout life. Now, um, I'm, I'm not sure how you guys have totally broken this down, but in the first 23 verses, the first 23 verses, they're, they're all about Jesus. Here's, here's Jesus who created all things, who sustains all things, his life, death, resurrection offered to us, redemption. It's all about Jesus. But now, 
with verse 24, the emphasis is going to change. Yes, still all about Jesus, um, but the emphasis changes to how it is that we respond to all that's been said about Jesus in the first 23 verses. And so here's where we're going to pick it up, Colossians 1, verse 24. He says, "Now, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So today, I want to break this down for us, and and I just want to give you three words that are going to help us understand how Paul lives his life in response to the gospel. So here's the first word you can write down, posture. Posture. The gospel shaped Paul's posture before God through and, and through how he lives. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, uh, I'm reading through that, and I think we're so familiar with the Bible, but if you're just reading through that, and it's the first time you hear that, I rejoice in my sufferings, and you're just thinking, what? I, I mean, is Paul some sort of, of, of sadistic wacko, or, 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 or what does it mean? Why can he say, why does he say, I rejoice in my suffering? And, and, and I'll just be straight with you all. Here's what, here's what I found from, from my own life. It's easy for me to sing about God's goodness when everything's going well, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? When, when, when the assignment comes easy, when I get the position that I want, when the team wins the game, it's just, God, you're so good. Everything's great. But when, but when things maybe aren't going the way that I want them to go, or things are tougher than I think that they should be, or I don't feel good, or I get injured, or, or whatever's going on, uh, my m- m- mindset isn't, God, you're so good. Many of us don't particularly suffer well. So this question, how can we suffer well? How can you be in a, a difficult situation, a, a frustrating season, experience loss, go through sickness, and yet rejoice, because that's where Paul's at. Locked up in prison, people spreading rumors about him, his leadership and his influence waning in a lot of ways. He is suffering. If there's anyone who can help us understand this posture of rejoice in suffering, it's Paul. He says, I rejoice not despite my sufferings, but in my sufferings. How is that? How can he do that? It's because Paul has been humbled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many times we feel entitled, like we deserve that life should be easy, comfortable, that we deserve good things. God, I've, I've lived the right way. I've done the right things. I deserve the best. We live like that. And so, when something difficult happens, we ask this question, well, well why me? Right? Well, why is this happening to me? Well, well that's not Paul. Paul. Paul's the guy who wrote the words, I'm the chief of sinners. Pa- Paul's the guy who, who wrote, the wages of sin is death. Paul's the guy who knows that the only thing he truly deserves, the only thing that he's actually earned is separation from God, and it's only through God's grace, only through the gospel, that he has anything. 
He doesn't live entitled. And so he says, I, everything he's got is just grace. He says, so I'll, I'll rejoice. I'll sing in Philippians 4. He says, I've learned in every situation to be content with what I have because I know who I am and I know what I deserve apart from him. This is the posture. And it's so often what God uses. One of the things that I've just been, been, been learning in pastoral ministry just as of late is that, um, and I think this is going to be true for you, but, but so often what God uses in my life in the greatest ways to minister to other people it, it won't be your triumphs. It'll be your trials. But most often, it's not going to be where you've been successful, but where you've struggled. Paul rejoices in his suffering because he loves what that suffering brings more than the comfort he had. So you can write this down. I'm going to read this slowly. You can rejoice in suffering. You can rejoice in suffering when you love what you gain through suffering. When you love what you gain through suffering more than you love, more than you love what you lost in suffering. So let me, write, let me just, I'll read this whole thing to you again. You can rejoice in suffering when you love what you gain through suffering more than what you love in suffering. So here's what we're saying. If that's confusing, let me give you a, a picture. My wife helped me with this one. Imagine the birth of a child. So I have three kids. Didn't birth any of the three kids. But I was in proximity to my wife birthing these kids. Childbirth is messy, it's scary, it's painful. Never met a woman who has looked forward to the birthing process. But I have yet to meet a mom who wouldn't say that all of it was worth it. This is, this is what we're saying. Paul's saying, this is how I feel about you. I rejoice in my suffering because I love more what it's producing in you than what it's doing to me. And then he goes ne next level. Look back at verse 24. He says, in my flesh, so in his body, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So reading through this and preparing for this, and, and first thought as I'm reading through this is, I don't know about that. I mean, I know that it's in the Bible, so I got to believe it. But, but when I read lacking and Christ in the same sentence, alarm bells start going off for me a little bit because I'm like, what could possibly be lacking in Christ's affliction? I mean, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, did he not? So how could it be that Paul has to, at least he thinks he has to suffer to add something to what Jesus hasn't done? I mean, the whole point of the first 23 verses of this book is that Christ is sufficient. So what is it that Paul is saying? He's saying, I'm happy to suffer for the gospel as an encouragement to you. He's saying that there's a certain amount of suffering that has been foreordained by God that actually fills up the body. 
And he's like, and, and, and if I've got to be a, a part of that, if I've got to take a piece of that for your good, then, 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 then let's go. He says, give me the trials. Give me the suffering. In one sense, the work of salvation is accomplished. Absolutely, it is finished. In another sense, that saving work isn't completed until someone hears and responds. Are you tracking with that? So John Piper, some of you know that name, he puts it like this. Um, He says, Christ's cross was for propitiation. Ours is for propagation. Christ's cross was for propitiation. Ours is for propagation. There's some big words in there, so let me simplify. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. He suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer. One of the reasons we suffer is to spread salvation, to spread it. So, so, so let me ask you this. What, what is it that you, what did you have to pay to receive salvation? Nothing. He paid it all. What would you be willing to pay to see someone you love come to know that salvation? Paul says it's worth it. This is the posture. Verse 25, here's the second word. So posture, second word, purpose. Purpose. His posture is I rejoice in suffering. Here's how he understands his purpose. Verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given what? To me, for who? You. To make the word of God fully known. That's an incredible mindset. So, so here's the deal. Here's the advantage of me being from two hours away and getting to come here. Um, I don't know you, and you don't know me, so I can just sort of say stuff, and you don't know, like, you don't think I'm taking shots at you personally because I don't know, right? But, but in my church, in my church, we've had a lot of people come to faith in Christ. They want to follow Jesus, which is great. But then their entire mindset, their entire focus is on themselves. Instead of thinking, God has given this ministry to me for you, it's to me, for me. And, and I think it's really easy for us to get to this place of, of, I go to church for me. I read the Bible for me. I'm a leader in my youth group for me. My prayer life is all about me. Now, now don't hear me saying that, that growing your faith in Christ is a bad thing. Not, not what I'm saying at all. In fact, as you keep on going in the book of Colossians, Paul's going to say, hey, here's some things that you need to put on. Here's some things that you need to put off. We need to be growing in our faith. I'm just saying that this piece for me, it, it's a piece. It's a ministry that Paul says is given to me for you. Do you, and so here's the question, do you see your life primarily as an opportunity for people to minister to you, love you, serve you, make much of you, or as an opportunity for you to serve others? Love others, minister to others, care for others, invest in others. Our response to the gospel is not only inward, it's also outward. Jesus came to to seek and to save the lost. And that's what Paul's modeling. Here's what God has done in my life 
So what can I do in your life? This is the posture and the purpose of God's people. Here's the third word, the last word, proclamation. Proclamation. Posture, purpose, now proclamation. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. He says, to, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, so, so saints, those who belong to them, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, so twice in those verses we just read, he uses this word mystery. What's, what's, the, what's the mystery? What is he talking about? We'll look at the end of verse 27. He says, the, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the mystery. So, so what does he mean? Well, the story of the Bible in, in one sense, and, and one of the biggest themes in the Bible is it's, it's a story of God's presence. So right now in my church, we're in a series in Genesis, and, and how does the Bible begin? It begins in the beginning with two people, Adam and Eve, who are described as walking with God. They have such a close relationship with God. They know his presence. They walk with him. But, but what happens? They, they get deceived. They eat a piece of fruit. They sin. They rebel. There's now separation. There's a void. And they no longer walk with God in the same way. They no ex- longer experience his presence in the same way. God could have rightly been done with these people in Genesis 3. But what does he, what does he do? He wasn't done with them. Eventually, his presence came to live among his people in, in what? A, it was a tent called a tabernacle. Later in the temple, and people could observe from a distance God's presence and know that he was there. A priest could go in once a year and, and be there. And, and, and then when Jesus comes along, he says, hey, I came and I'm dwelling among you. He was God's presence among them. But, but where does it go from there? Christ in you. That presence is now in you. You are described, if you belong to him, as the new temple. People don't have to go to a church building to experience God. People don't have to go to a tent to know his presence. Christ in you. Which means that people should look at you and they should see something different. Something that I think the world would describe as mysterious. People should say, why is that guy the way that he is? Why does he love people the way that he loves people? Why is it that that girl lives the way that she lives? Why is it that she doesn't gossip when she has the opportunity to? Why is it that she doesn't lie to to get ahead, right? That's rooted in our message. What is our message? Is it just rules, principles for a better life? Is Is it finding your truth, helping people You do you, right? What is it? Our message is Christ in you. Jesus isn't distant. Jesus has come. He's not just impersonal. He's not just some far out creator. He's not the man upstairs or the big guy in the sky. He isn't there to take the wheel after you've tried everything else. Jesus has come and he's the hope of glory. Jesus is a a personal savior. 
And that's the message that we proclaim. Verse 28 says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We don't just talk to people about Jesus so that they will come to faith. I think sometimes we view as like, you know, i gotta, I got to tell people the good news so that, that they come to faith. It is that. But we also talk about Jesus so that we will all grow in our faith. Remember, he's, he's writing this book, Colossians. He's writing these words to Christians. We proclaim, we teach, we warn so that we all might mature, we all might grow in Christ. And so I want to close this morning by, by asking you guys a, a handful of questions. So I'll let you write these down. They're related to the points that I just gave you. So here's the first question. What are you proclaiming? What are you proclaiming? All of our lives, all the time, are proclaiming something. We show people by, by what we say, by how we speak, by what we value, by what we prioritize, what really matters to us. What is your life proclaiming? What are you proclaiming? Here's the second question. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? What are your goals? What are you living for? What do you prioritize? What's your purpose? One of the phrases that we say a lot in my church is that, um, we, we, we put it like this, included in the call to follow Jesus is the call to ministry. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There aren't some people who follow and some who are fishers of men. He says, follow me and, and he'll do the making. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the question isn't, are you called to ministry? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to ministry. The question is where and how. What's your purpose? Here's the last question. What's your posture? What's your posture? Are you willing to sacrifice comfort, position, ease? Maybe it's willing to sacrifice lack of awkwardness. Has following Christ affected how it is that you live, the posture of your life? What are you proclaiming? What's your purpose? What's your posture? Here's the last verse and how he ends it. 29. For this I toil. He says, I toil. I work. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works. So his work. So I work because he's working. It's that work powerfully within me. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the Apostle Paul, that you would give a, a brother like that to the people that he knew, but also to people like us. God, as we think about um, suffering, maybe that's in, in personal ways, maybe that's in minor ways, maybe that's in major ways, maybe that's in, in ways as a society. God, whatever it would be, would, would the posture of our lives before you be, I rejoice in my suffering because we know that you're doing a work in it. God, you're sovereign over it. You're in charge of it. You have a plan 
in it. You're working in the midst of it. And so, God, we, we pray, and, 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 and my prayer for these students is that you would give them eyes to see how it is, how it is that, that, that you're at work in the midst of it. God, that you would give us a, a confidence, even on days when we can't see how it is that you're at work, uh, a confidence to know that you are at work, that you are using it. So do a work in us, especially in terms of our posture. God, that our approach to you wouldn't be to worship you just when things are going well, but that we would rejoice no matter what's going on because our joy is not based on happenstance. Our joy is found in you and you're constant. God, we love you. We pray in your name. Amen.